So the big question is this. How do the best recruiters and recruitment business owners ride the highs and lows of recruitment whilst ensuring they remain at the top? How do they stay consistent? How do they manage their time? How do they cultivate the correct mindset? And what are the best recruiters and recruitment businesses doing differently? These are the questions that all recruiters want to know the answers to. This is the podcast where I have real and honest conversations with some of the most talented recruitment professionals globally to uncover all their secrets. My name is Hisham Azuz. Welcome to the Recruitment Rollercoaster Podcast. Welcome to the Recruitment Rollercoaster Podcast. My name is Hisham Azuz. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Amy Steele. Amy uh, works for the global recruitment business Amore Bond and is an associate director within the group. She runs the UK engineering contract team. Amy has worked her way up the ranks to this position within nine years and now manages a team of eight and is the youngest director across the group and achieved director status in record time within six years. Amy, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. <laughs> really looking forward to this one. Um, as we've been chatting, always keen to get more and more female leaders like you in recruitment sharing your story. So um, look, where I always like to start on this podcast is how you got into recruitment. Um, so just for context, um, have you only worked for Amori Bond in the recruitment world? Yeah. Okay, cool. So yeah. Worked, yeah. So nine years in October, you said, right? Okay, cool. So let, let's just start with how did Amy end up working for Amori Bond? Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, this is the only company I've ever worked for. So graduated in 2011, did a degree in American Studies and History. So nothing related to the sector yeah. at all and you know being completely honest I'd be lying if I told you I always wanted to go into recruitment as well because I didn't even know what it was when I graduated but um I knew I'd probably go into some sort of sales because I was always really like money driven and um when I did graduate I never wanted to go down the, the route of like being a teacher or anything like that which generally history lends itself to but I just knew I wanted to earn money didn't know what I wanted to do just knew I wanted to have a certain lifestyle so spoke to my dad about it he works in business so he's got a pretty he's pretty commercially savvy he's he's in this world and said you know I really don't know what I want to do but I want to earn money and he was like you should go into sales it'll toughen you up it'll give you a really good grounding so applied for some jobs online more thought they were sales roles and everyone that was getting back in touch with me were recruitment businesses so that's when it came onto my radar so I interviewed with a number of different companies in and around the Manchester area but yeah Amoria Bond just re- really stood out to me I don't know what it was there's just something about it I just got this feeling when I, I went there I just thought I can definitely see myself in this company and um, I think I just loved the values I loved how competitive it was and just got a great feel for the place and then joined and I probably didn't really know what recruitment was for a few months after that either Really, (laughs) just threw myself into it and just adapted as I went so yeah my my first real job if you like was the trainee recruitment consultant at Amoria Bond and yeah I've been there ever since that's so interesting so what how old was you when you joined there uh 22 Okay, that's so interesting. Now you're giving my age away. (laughs) Sorry, sorry. Um, Okay, just just really quickly. Obviously, I've been to the Moribond offices, but like, what what did the Moribond? Because I'm I'm sure 
I'd be confident quite a few people know the Amorebon brand if they're up in Manchester, or whatever. It's a big employer in terms of in the recruitment space mm-hmm. up in Manchester. What what was the business like when you joined? Like, where was it yeah, in its journey? Very different to how it is now. So, um, the Amorebon was established in 2006. So, yeah, about five years after its inception. We had the Manchester office, which is the office that we're in now, but we just had one floor. And there must have been maximum 20 people in there, including sales and back office staff. And we'd recently opened our Amsterdam office at that point as well. And I think there's about 10 people over in Amsterdam. So, a very, very different company to, to what it is now. Um, the values are the same, the principles are the same, the markets are the same, but just on a much smaller scale. Um, now we've got pretty much like half the building that we're in is, is a moribond. We're actually moving to new offices in, uh, well, towards the end of the year to an even bigger space because we've outgrown it. And obviously we've now got the office in Cologne and an office in Singapore as well. So when I joined, I'd say total staff was maybe around the 40, 45 mark. Now it's more like 120 125 okay. something like that and that's post-covid as well so obviously there's been a few changes recently so sure yeah. okay so uh what was the environment like then what what did you uh, early on so i'm always interested in the first couple of years like what what did amy do to ensure that you didn't sort of get um chewed up and spat out from recruitment which a lot happens to a lot of grads right yeah sure no definitely i think you know the environment early on was was very structured like it is now you know we do business development in the morning we resource and find candidates in the afternoon we're a very kpi driven company we still are now we're far more advanced now from a business intelligence perspective than we were back then but we've always been really really kpi and and csf commercially driven so i think for me it was just a case of you know as as a person i'm I'm pretty resilient i am used to being challenged you know because of my, my background i've always been involved in sports that pretty highly competitive level and I just applied the same mindset and principles to the job I just did what I was told every day hit my targets every day and just worked really really hard so there was definitely times where I found it difficult and times where I thought I could give up here but it's just not really in my nature and I think from like a social perspective I settled in really well and I made friends quite quickly and I think going to work around friends every day is definitely something that can keep you keep you there and and keep you um you know engaged with the business um because we were smaller as well um there were people at different levels of the business that I became quite close to because back then there was literally I was the third female in the office third female okay third yeah it's obviously very very we're a lot more 50 50 now but at the time it was very male driven in office so I became friends with two of the girls that both of them quite senior in the business so they were great role models for me I could see the money they were earning the success that they'd had so far they're a similar age to me they'd just not done the university bit so I could see where I could be in a couple of years if I you know what what made them good what made them good role models just really great one one was really great on process did things by the book and the other was a great business developer. And I think, you know, I, I had I sort of envisioned how I wanted my life to be in terms of earnings and what I would have. And they were living that already. So that was like pretty inspiring for me. Mm, that's that's interesting. Um, and d- just a real quick one on that. Like, did you just go over and speak to them? Did you just go over and ask for help? Because I, I know it sounds really simple and basic and you strike me as someone that probably just did that naturally. But I think a lot of people some of the sort of interesting insights that come from this is that some people aren't willing or don't want to 
look stupid and go and ask a top performer next to them say how how did you do that or what are you doing differently so I'm actually terrible at asking for help really yeah it's absolutely terrible I I don't I, I tell people the opposite all the time I'm like make sure you ask for help but I'm really really bad at it so I think the thing that's great about Amori Bond is we have a really robust training program. And when you're a senior consultant in the business, part of that job, even if you're not managing people, is to still mentor and help people. So when you join, you have people coming to you like, can I help you with this? How are you getting on with this? How's your day been? You know, not just your manager, but your peers as well. And that's very much the case now, but it was back then. So I wouldn't say necessarily I asked, but I got approached. But what I would say is, in hindsight now I should have asked more questions definitely because um that's something I'm not great at in general when it comes to myself (laughs) how and and last thing because I think again this is a really interesting insight like how important do you think it is for recruiters early on in their career to actually really make sure and focus on building internal relationships I think it's so important, really, really important. If you're having a really bad day, which let's be honest happens, I think the one thing that can help with that and cheer you up there and then is the, is the people that you're working with. And you, recruitment's long hours, right? We all know that. There's there's no real getting around that. That's just a fact, especially in the earlier days. Although actually, I think I work longer now than I did then. Um, but um, you know, you spend so much time with these people, so. If you're not properly embedded into that business, forming relationships, you've not got that support network, I think it would make the job even harder. So, yeah, anyone who's joining a business, throw yourself into it. You know, if it means pushing yourself out of your comfort zone to get to know people or socialise a bit more, I would, I would say do it because I think that's a huge part of it. And back to your question before about how did I not get chewed up and spat out? Well, I joined at the end of October, you know, fast forward a month or two it's Christmas we have so many social events going on the Christmas party I got taken to Amsterdam um you know loads of events lunch clubs things like that and I just I was so immersed in the culture that it would have been impossible for me to to fail by that point because I just loved it so much yeah interesting okay so just just the final bit for context then so you've always worked in contract recruitment right and obviously as I introduced you I said engineering but you've Have you worked across a few different disciplines in the last? Yeah, so I originally started as a um, recruiting for contract design engineers. That was the market I was brought in to do. Um, I naturally sort of moved a bit into automotive. So automotive, people will know if they've been in the sector, just absolutely kicked off in around about like 2013, 14. So my market went from design. I picked up an automotive client and I didn't just fill the design roles. I started filling like, project engineers, quality engineers, things like that, and develop that account and then just naturally started developing automotive as a, as a bit of a marketplace, which sort of went against the grain. As a business, we're very much focused on disciplines, not sectors. Um, but because we were much smaller back then, we had a lot more free reign than we do now, I was able to, to just sort of carve that into a bit of a market. And then when I added to my team, I would then give people a discipline within that sector. So I moved primarily into projects. Um, by the sort of last few years of my career, I was I was literally just placing project managers within like a ten mile radius of Coventry. <laughs> didn't really, really deviate, you know. Didn't really deviate beyond that. I didn't need to. Like I knew everybody. All the clients knew me. I pretty much worked with everybody. So I was able to carve out 
that niche. Um, but as the team's grown, we've had to spread the risk more. Obviously, the automotive industry has really started to, to decline, not just recently, over the last couple of years. So as the team got bigger, strategically, I needed to diversify to create new markets, but also to, to spread the risk from a sector over to other sectors. So um, we now cover design, projects, quality, manufacturing, pretty much the full project lifecycle across all um STEM engineering sectors, so automotive, aerospace, defense, rail, um, power and energy, nuclear. It's okay. really quite varied. Yeah. Cool. Got it. Right. So, and and then just the final bit, sorry, just for people listening. So up until 2017, you was always billing. That's right. right. And then for the last, obviously, couple of years, you've been hands-off and yeah. really had to then learn this leadership role where Amy's not actively yeah. billing, right? Okay. Yeah. So first bit how did the first couple of years go in terms of Amy getting to the grips with how to be a good contract biller? Like how did you do in the first couple of years? Yeah. So, um, I got off to a pretty quick start actually. Um, I completely by accident, not by skill landed on a client and they didn't just need one person. They needed several. So made a couple of early placements. Um, my first year was good. I got promoted to consultant pretty quickly. Um, I think it was in my fifth month. Um, but then I things started to go a little bit wrong for me, actually. My second year was a bit of a disaster. Um, I basically just, I had so many dropouts. And what, what I was doing is I just listened to what I wanted to hear rather than what people were actually telling me. So, you know, the phrase like square pair, ground holes, like that was the story of my life in my second year. <laughs> and I got really frustrated and I, I, was, I was used to just blame the market. I'm like, it's the automotive market, it's too busy. Like you can't control candidates. Actually, I was just trying to force things. So um, my first year was great. My second year, things started to stall. But once I took a step back and was like, I'm not achieving what I want here, rather than blaming the market, like I need to look at myself. And I just got, really passionate about becoming the best recruiter I possibly could be I just hired somebody um, to mentor them I'd just become a senior consultant after about I think it was about 15 or 16 months and I realized I had to really lead by example and, and by mentoring that person it made me become better at the job um, and I just became really really process driven really tight with everything I was doing from a candidate management perspective um, the key thing for me, though, is I got really, really passionate about business development at that point. So I decided I wanted to have more clients than anyone else. Like, I'm a very competitive person. We constantly review performance and who's doing what. I was like, yeah, I want to have more clients than anyone. So I went on a bit of a rampage um, towards the back end of my second year on just winning business and winning clients. And that was the real turning point for me, I think, was my third year because I went into the year on around about five or six K running weekly GP. Um, and it was in my third year that I had done all the hard work, really got all these clients on board. And that's when it really took off for me. And I pretty much doubled my weekly GP the following six months while starting to build a team at the same time. Okay. But definitely lessons learned in second. Yeah. Well, let, what, what I'm keen just to break down there, Amy, is that sort of moment of realization that mm -hmm. actually for Amy to be a better recruiter to improve I can't point the finger right yeah because that, that's what you're saying and I think that's such an important insight and I went through that myself and I've also experienced that when I was in a recruitment office and you hear it right fucking candidates done this again or clients done this or whatever it's 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 easy to blame right so oh, yeah what 
I guess what helped you, because I think a lot, and I'm sure you've seen this now when you've managed it, Amy, that people get caught in that, right? And like people, you can te- you can shake them and go, no, like you need to look at yourself, but sometimes it just doesn't sink in. So like what helped, what really helped you overcome that mindset of not being, not taking responsibility and accountability that actually frees you to improve and to become better? Yeah, there's a few things actually. So I think for me, so there had to be like a point where I hit where I thought this can't continue. So I'm really, really motivated by like incentives and the trips and all the good stuff that the company can offer. And I actually hit, I hit a trip, I think going to the South of France and I had to drop out, which meant I didn't qualify, so I didn't get to go. And I was absolutely furious. I was absolutely devastated about it. And I was like, I'm really not happy about this. Sat down with my manager and he just basically just said, I'm just going to be really straight with you. <laughs> you. The problem is you. And I think we had to have that really difficult chat because I'd always done pretty well. I guess I'd gone under the radar a little bit. I wasn't a top performer, but I wasn't underperforming. So I'd gone under the radar in terms of these challenging conversations. I'd had monthly business reviews, which we do every month. And they'd always been, yeah, you've done all right. Like, keep doing the same, move on. Or you've had a dropout, just look at why, change it. There was nothing really, like, too or alarming whereas things were getting worse and then it got to that point had that really difficult conversation and you know reflected on it and thought you know what he's right I am like not here to be average I'm here to be the best and if I don't start looking at how I can improve then I'm never going to be the best so I think that realization that difficult chat um, and then also I started like doing more self-development work so I don't know if you've heard of the book good to great the what was that good to great good to great yeah Mm. absolutely love that book and I I still dip in and out of it now but I read that and that was just a game changer for me like there was so much good stuff that came out of that um in terms of like mindset and change and just trying to be better and why people like why good is the enemy of great basically like you can carry on being good if you just keep doing what you're doing but you'll never be great and that just like really rang true for me because I was good and I was doing fine but I wasn't fulfilling my potential and I was getting frustrated with that and then I read that book and just so much stuff like resonated with me um and yeah I guess I just tried I just took a step back and decided yeah I'm I'm not here to be average I'm not earning what I want I've not progressed as quickly as I want and I'm going to do something about it I love that that that's awesome so if I'm listening right now Amy and I'm like fuck I'm that person I'm I'm I, the way that Amy's describing how she was in terms of the the person that you was at that point in your career what would just be like your go-to like right really think about this ask yourself this question go and read this book I don't know what would be your sort of just go-to place to try and encourage someone to take that step back yeah. just to run that off I mean I think it's, it's really hard right to look at yourself and think it's I need to do better it's me like no one wants to admit that do they so I guess my advice would be like there's no there's no failure in that um you know it's it's fine to accept that you you can be better and you can change things and I think it's just giving yourself that time to reflect so if you're feeling a bit disengaged you're feeling a bit frustrated especially at the moment like let's be honest we've been a pandemic like it's not been fun for everybody no one's where they want to be right now um so and it's okay to take that step back and think you know what can I do differently it's not a failing it's just a change and it's a shift and honestly like we've always had this phrase at Amori Bond which is it's always your fault so if something goes wrong it's always your fault it's always within your control now we know it's not always the case but we have that mindset on the basis that 
that's how you improve so I think just tell yourself like it's weird but like say like it is always my fault what can I do differently and just I guess take a step back and re-look and analyze what you're doing longer term you'll you know you'll thank yourself for it yeah amazing love that so next part that I was just really keen just to get your thoughts on because it sort of it seemed like a really important moment to you pushing on in your career and it's probably if I'm honest the area where most recruiters uh, feel like they need to improve or want to learn and develop and that's business development and that's client acquisition I'm sure you've seen this now managing people Mm -hmm. so you were just saying before we went into that around that you decided that you're going to be the best recruiter you can be and you want as many clients as possible that's going to enable you to reach the goals that you have for yourself yeah what how did Amy still approach business development that you think really enabled you to hit your business development targets and achieve what you wanted to yeah so I think the first bit is to from a planning perspective I got really really religious with planning the night before so I was always a bit guilty of just like banging a quick plan together running a search on the system there wasn't a huge amount of strategy behind it and so instead I just actually mapped out companies I thought I'm going to do automotive let's properly map it out let's split them into different sections look at locations and just make sure I'm adding more data more qualitative data so I can have a better conversation with that person um so the planning element became a huge part of my daily structure so I would always do it before I left but the difference was I used to do it like my last job of the day I restructured and started doing at four o'clock instead so I do an hour from four till five rather than starting it at like six half six where I was already a bit frazzled like ready to go home my brain wasn't fully operational anymore Um, and I just restructured started doing it earlier and it was just a much better quality plan which meant that the calls the following day I was speaking to the right people about the right things and and then beyond that it was all about meetings for me I got I felt one felt so much more comfortable in person than over the phone um cold calling was fine I didn't mind it in the end like I wouldn't say I loved it I wouldn't say I'm the best at it I was consistent with it and I knew what I was talking about but for me it was all about meetings I knew if I could get in front of a client I would come away with business of like contract jobs or pipeline or future exclusivity so normally we target all everyone on 10 meetings attended a month I my target was 20 20 meetings a month yeah yeah because go on sorry go go on no no that's okay <laughs> I was just saying because that's what got results for me so yeah you so you recognize yeah, yeah so you recognize that if you you recognize yeah more face-to-face meetings meant that more chance of you winning business or forming new relationships what the only thing that I was going to ask sorry to butt in but um was around basically what what is the recipe or what do you think gave you the best chance of locking in a meeting so what in terms of booking the meeting just like so if i'm listening to this and like right okay well actually you know what amy's completely right i need to get more face-to-face uh, meetings or i need more zoom video calls yeah what what's what's been your sort of secret source of that or what's just really worked for you in terms of if i call you right now and my objective is right how can i get a meeting yeah what, what's really worked for you yeah sure so i think it's really important to lead with the benefit to the client of any sort of meeting because 
ultimately it's so, it's so many people fall into the trap and I hear it all the time on sales for like selling the, the benefit to yourself not to, to the client so I think it's really important to know the benefits to the client of, of meeting you and that there's various different like benefits to them you know if we see the site we can represent them more um, effectively on the marketplace when they're hiring for them it will give us a greater understanding of what they do so we can screen and select more appropriate candidates for them um, in terms of working together and building a partnership it's really important that we get that face time to get to know each other um, and I think clients like meetings as well it shows that you're taking it seriously um, and you know when you're on site you can see multiple people as well so it's not like you're driving down to Coventry or whatever for one person like you can go down for the day and see like eight to ten people so it's a really good use of your time and I think as long as you lead with the benefit and I think as well, like conviction in the pitch, you know, I, again, it, I hear people and I probably did it say like, do you think it'd be a good idea if it's like, no, it would be a great idea for us to meet because X, Y, Z benefit, you know, when are you available next Tuesday or, or Wednesday and like alternative close it. So I used to have them um, one day a week on meetings. So every Tuesday was my meeting day. So I used to already have it mapped out in my calendar. So I'd ring a client pitch. So I'm actually coming down to the area next Tuesday. Are you available? You know, Monday, certain like, time, Monday yeah. Afternoon. Yeah. And if they weren't, I'd be like, okay, no problem. Well, now the week after because I come every week and name drop all the clients that you're working with. Like if you're not working with them, just name drop them. <laughs> if you are, then it's even better. Um, and that's part of working in this niche. You know, you get to know your clients and your candidates and, you know, you they need to be dealing with you by that yeah. point. I love that. So key distinction there, anyone listening, and what I wanted to highlight from what I got from that, Amy, was yeah. um benefits of for them, not for you, right? And what you mean by that is if I call you right now, I'm going, look, I'm a specialist this, I'm great at this, blah, blah, mm -hmm. blah. The benefits of working with me. Well, actually, no, it's look, Amy, we should meet because this is gonna mean the all the benefits for you, right? So I think that's mm -hmm. a key distinction there, because it's easy to yeah. go to sell yourself, which is part of it right but that initial part to get that meeting is why is that worth their time right and that isn't because you're the best it's because this is how we're going to i'm going to be able to help you better if we do that um that's really interesting so just the the other part of this amy because it's a question i get all the time and you've mentioned it a couple of times um around this organization of your time managing mm -hmm. your desk all these things. It seems like you've been on a journey with this and you've really refined this in your billing days, it seems like. Um, and it's one of the most common things that I get. So I guess if you think of what Amy's daily routine or weekly routine schedule was at the beginning of your billing career, by the time when you was hitting big figures, yeah. what, what did the sort of the perfect week look like or what how yeah. how was your day and we want detail here because people want to know okay. <laughs> how a recruiter plans out their day or week. A day yeah, yeah sure I mean I don't know if you've ever heard this phrase before but like you think you're organized until you start working in recruitment <laughs> <laughs> yeah. then you realize you're really really not so I always thought I was great and really organized but I clearly wasn't so yeah so back yeah back in the day when I was running my own desk so I had a pretty like strict regime like I used to look, like used to plan my day like by the hour in the end so I'd get in early I'm a bit of an early bird so I usually get in 7 seven thirty, jump on check my emails deal with anything that is that's coming overnight that's pretty urgent I'd have my day planned from the night before already so if there was any 
thing that had come in overnight, like candidates had sent me emails with references on to take, I'd add them to the system, get them on my plan. Um, and then I would log on to and do a bit of job spotting. So I don't know if you're familiar with that, but basically go on to the job boards, look at other recruiters' adverts, see if I could work them out, put them on my plan, ring them myself. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I don't know if other companies do that or whether that's just us. Maybe giving away a bit of a trade secret there. Uh, I, I um, used to do that. I'm sure, it's quite common. But yeah. Okay, okay. good, good. Yeah, so I used to do that um, first thing as well. So I got really like like passionate about job spotting. Like if there was ever a job that went up in my market, contract job, I would want to know about it. And I did that every day. So I got on top of it. So it only ever be maybe one to two new ones a day. Try and work them out, get them on the plan. Um, and then I would basically start. Um, I'd, I'd always try and be on the phone before eight o'clock. So at eight to eight thirty, I would jump on the job boards and ring candidates who put their CV up the night before. So just to try and get to them first for my live jobs, just before any other recruiters are, are on the phone to them. Um, so I'd do that, and I, my goal was always to have at least one CV to job by nine a.m., which is when I moved on to BD. So sort of eight to eight thirty to through nine o'clock, depending on how many jobs on and what I was working ring candidates qualify them screen them hopefully prep and send at least one cv to job then 9 till eleven thirty was purely business development so cold calling following up my leads speaking to my clients i was working a job for taking references and then mmc calls and, so then, we have, and the key yeah. part here sorry to buy and the key part here right. is that amy still planned this session a day before Yes. at four four to four thirty. four o'clock the day before yeah yes. love that yeah. okay cool so everyone was already on my plan all the managers i was going to speak yeah because i, I all feel like that's system. key isn't it that, that's the key so that's, important. yeah that's key so important like i used to hate it say if i was due to be on a day of meetings and for whatever reason they got cancelled and i'd come in i had no plan i used to just hate it i'd feel all over the place so yeah so that that two and a half hour session i'd shut my emails down I would be like, no one talk to me, <laughs> get okay. in the zone <laughs> and just like absolutely power through. And that's probably because cold calling didn't come like totally naturally to me at first. I got pretty nervous about it, which given I'm quite a confident person, it's quite unusual. Um, and I did, I literally used to cold call people to get a meeting because then I knew it, it, in person I'd be fine. That's how I started. So when I was doing my BD, yes, obviously you want to take a job to breakfast and get a job. That's the goal number one. But in my head, psychologically, I'd just say to myself, you're just ringing to book a meeting. You're just going to book a meeting. Yeah, that's how you go over it. Yeah. yeah, but the result of that was that I got really confident. I had good conversations and my BD really improved. But that for that like two-hour period, I literally just shut off. No one talked to me. This is what I'm doing. Okay. Um, then at half 11, I would break off and I'd spend 30 minutes following up on everything that I'd done over that period. So any thank you for your time emails, any terms that needed to be sent over, any like admin type tasks, nice. di- diarising my meetings. So I'd get all that done straight after. So as I'm doing my business development, I'd always, always do this and definitely recommend it. Make a to-do list. So rather than doing it there and then, so if I spoke to somebody and they said, yeah, I'll meet you at this time, send me some details. Rather than putting the meeting in and then sending the details, I would literally just record it all on the system, put it on my to-do list, and then at the end, Yeah, love that. it, love just it. So you tie, tie, it all, tie it all together. Yeah. There's no disruption in you focusing on BD. Then right. half 11 till 12, it's like, right, I need to... Follow up on What everything. admin, yeah, yeah, love that. Okay, yeah. what happens after 12? Yeah, so 12 to 1. So at that point, we would either have like training, usually in the diary, 
or I would prep and send um, like a client, like like RTM, so like a bit of like a, a mass email with a CV on, or um, I would get my jobs ready to work for the afternoon. So I'd create, send another candidate email out to try and get more interest, repost any new jobs and adverts, any job admin basically to get a, a really good list of candidates ready for the afternoon session. Um, and then I don't know if this is, going to be a great tip or not I never really take lunch I like go grab my lunch but then I just carry on okay because I always thought like there's no point me being sat there for an hour like reading the mail when I could just be working yeah. so I would well, I don't do think it. there's ever a good time to read the daily mail for an hour well, no, I was gonna say you do you, yeah when when do you eat I mean for me personally um I like I I don't really enjoy eating in the morning because I, I actually just feel more focused and just more yeah. uh, light when I haven't eaten personally and then I'll I'd normally eat my first meal at yeah. one whatever but okay um, that's interesting exactly the same I'm terrible I never have breakfast so I have I make myself like I've like a huge bullet yeah, like a smoothie yeah, so juice, like I was that going, yeah yeah I'm okay that. I'm 12 to <laughs> 1 get you ready for the afternoon jobs get yeah, yeah. Like this. and then what are you doing for one till the afternoon yeah so one till two is like technically lunch time but I'd go grab some lunch jump back on maybe 20 past half past one okay. and then I just start working jobs so um I would prioritize based on the urgency and yeah. the commitment from the client so if I had interview slots available the following day or within that week that would be my priority so one thing I probably missed out actually when I'm doing my business development every client I'm working a job for I speak to them every day no matter what to give them an update on my progress and to find out the status of the job have they got other interviews what's changed just so I'm really clear on where I spend my time because what I don't want to do is spend a whole afternoon working on a job to then ring the client and then find out oh actually we've filled it or it's been pushed back a month mm. or whatever so I would just check in every morning is it still alive do you still want to interview tomorrow how many people do you want to see from me today and like treat it as more of a partnership I think people like put clients on pedestals and you've got to remember like you're working with them not for them and if they give you a vacancy ultimately they're giving you work to do you know they're not giving you money yet you have to fill that job and until it's filled we don't make anything so you know it's going to be on my terms as much as it is theirs and I think having that mindset allowed me to get really clear on my prioritization on the vacancies that I was working because I just I'd learned the hard way from wasting my time on countless vacancies yeah. that didn't go anywhere I think that's really smart Amy because I think there's that sort of I don't know if it's fear but that sort of internal dialogue yeah. of the I don't want to call that client if I've got nothing to update them on or I haven't got a, this amazing candidate to tell them about but actually it's just as much in your interest to find theirs to find out okay what's the latest what's going on where are you with things and that's going to help you put Definitely. the right resources so are you yeah. just working candidates one till four then yeah pretty much just working jobs all afternoon so really again really high intensity um lots and lots of outbounds anyone I do get on the phone even if they're not looking get names from them if people they know people they're working with and and, all, and also again I used to say like who do you know that's looking and they'd be like oh, no one but you just have to reframe that question you know who do you work with that could do this job because then you're still getting names it's like they're probably Very not looking I get that but like who do you know and I'll call them and, and just getting names and constantly trying to increase your your candidate network um, and then prepping and sending the CVs over um, I usually would try and put a quick call in again at that point, sell them in over the phone, see if I can get an interview booked for them there and then, um, rather than, you know, just sending them yeah, yeah, yeah. to see. 
Um, okay. What I what I like to do with my clients is agree times to speak each day. So one client of mine that I've done a lot of work with over the years, we speak at half five every day when I'm working a job for him. Yeah. Um, that's that's the time. He that. makes it free. I make it free. It's really simple. He always answers when I ring. I talk about the people I found that day and we book them in. Um, or if I've not found them, why I've not found them? So, okay. Get a bit of flexibility. And then four, <laughs> yeah. four till... Four till four thirty. You're planning the next day. Four till five. Planning. Four till five. Sorry, yeah. yeah. Planning for business development. Planning, adding data, um, do a bit of research, and then at five o'clock till five thirty, we do a group close every day. So everyone in the office reports back on what they've done so far yeah. and their action plan, and then half five onwards, back on the phone, working jobs, finding more it. candidates. Yeah, love it. So <laughs> let, let's just run this off, right? So I know that we were talking before, like. Um, so what, in terms of like billings wise, obviously you're a contract recruiter just for contacts yeah. and your own markets, but like for me, I, I don't want to just assume I know the answers to this, but just for context, like I know you said that you, um, you won top biller a couple of times within the yeah. business. Like what was your best year? As a so my best year was 4,000. Uh, no, sorry, four hundred ninety-three thousand, and I was furious because it wasn't quite. Have you have you broke the five hundred k mark before? No, never oh, broke it. I know, I know. To be honest, though, like I, because I, I was building a team. I'm making an excuse here because I was building a team at the same time. Like, if I'd not built a team, maybe I could, but I wanted yeah, to manage. Yeah. So other things were important to me as well. It's just been a bit okay, but yeah, but no, so, consistently four eighty. For yeah, around that. Okay, right, cool. So. The reason why I just wanted that for context, how important was Amy Steele having a process? That's so important. Because <laughs> so like everything that we're talking about now, it may sound a bit like, oh, fuck that. That just seems way too structured, blah, blah, blah. But the punchline yeah. is how confident would Amy still be if you didn't have that structure or didn't have that plan? Do you think you'd build those numbers? not absolutely not because on top of this because I was building my team I had to get even more organized so that was my typical day when I was only responsible for myself I got to the point where I'd actually start recruitment at 4 p.m every day because I was just helping other people so you know you have to be organized you get so much more out of your time and I think you have to be strict with it as well if you've given yourself two hours to do a task even if you've not achieved your objective, you still have to move on because you've got other stuff and then stuff won't get backlogged as much as that. Have you ever heard of the book eat that frog I don't know uh yeah no I yeah I, I have really heard of it which is like do do the things that you have to or don't want to do first get first. out of the way yeah, yeah. yeah I I I it's a really short book I definitely recommend it it's it's I get people on my team to do it when they're struggling with time management and things because it's really really simple like theory but it's yeah just like make a list get the urgent and hard tasks out of the way and just carry on so yeah, yeah I think no structure is so important I mean if you to speak to any of my team now like they'll tell you all I do is bang on about structuring your time being on top of your business being organized because I think it just makes such a difference to your output and when you've got direction you're going to get more done and you're going to be more productive and you know I don't want people working 12 13 14 hour days you're going to burn out you know if you can get it done in 11 hours or 10 hours like that's so much better and you're going to go home switch off get a better night's sleep and and start again because you know you're not wasting time Mm. And and I feel like when you have that structure 
you can leave that office or there's more of a chance of Amy leaving that office going, I've had a good day today or because there's nothing worse than leaving that recruitment office and going, right, what the fuck did I do today? You know, and and, uh, normally that's because you didn't have a structure or whatever. So, okay. So the next part that I want to talk to you about, Amy, is so you're, you're someone that has thrived in a very competitive environment. Mm -hmm. And obviously, yeah, Moribond's a big business. There's, There's a lot of people in here big part of this in terms of your success clear process and learning what works for you being disciplined etc mm-hmm. um why do you think that amy's been the person that's been able to achieve things like the road to directorship quite qu- quicker than, than other people why have you been the person that's managed to get your hands on the opportunities to be a director to have more management responsibility just more mm-hmm. of an opportunity to progress basically everyone yeah. wants to progress their career and progress them professionally personally whatever right but out why was it not the person next to you amy do you think yeah it's a really difficult question <laughs> um no i think i think i know right so Firstly, I think the, the thing to mention is, you know, I have literally committed to this company and this job like as a number one priority. And I've made a lot of sacrifices along the way in order to be where I am, like particularly in the early days when I was 22, 23, my friends were all going out a lot, like in the week, and I was literally sat in an office, not earning any money at this point either, and um, working around the clock in the blind hope and faith that what I was being told about recruitment would, would come true. And um, so, you know, and I've, I've continued to work really, really hard. Like my job is my priority. And, um, you know, I, I have the life that I want outside of work now because of the, the income and the platform that it's given me. And I do what I want. But my job has always, always come first. And, you know, I've just worked really, really hard consistently, though. Um, and I think the other bit is probably just around, well, training and development. I'm massive on self-development and training. I'm always trying to get better. I'm really passionate about being the best and, and being good at things and um, but I think ultimately I just got this burning desire to be successful no matter what like there's nothing that's going to stop me like have, you, have you cultivated that or is this something that you think your parents has impacted or have you always had a chip on your shoulder what where definitely from my upbringing so my I had a bit of an unusual upbringing so my dad was a professional cricketer okay so I've grown up in an environment of like success in sport and I did sport from a, from the age of three I did gymnastics I competed nationally I then went into athletics competed internationally I've always been like challenged in terms of and been in an environment where like it's all about winning like that that's just who I am like I'm, I'm one of those awful people that ruins everything because they're so competitive like nothing is fun anymore like have to make it a competition it's a really horrible trait of mine <laughs> but you know and then my so my dad was cricketer and then he um when he retired which he did in his early 30s obviously the money back then wasn't like it is now so he basically had to like restart again and went and did um a degree and then a master's in business and then has gone on to to set up his own like companies and been pretty successful and I think it's just like innate in me like to to be a success and it's for myself but it's also I guess part of it is like I like to be seen to be successful too you know I want people to be quite inspired and and want to do the same and I think it's yeah it's just been in me since I since I was little the way I've I've grown up yeah I want to talk to you about women and, and being a female in recruitment because I think okay. there's an interesting link there around your priority yeah. and sacrifice you had to make and I'll, I'll bring that link but just just quickly because I want to make sure I ask you this I think 
how have you so with that in mind what you just said around you being competitive and you just had this burning desire mm-hmm. yeah have you had to get better at being fulfilled or when you like because the the hard part of that Amy correct me if I'm wrong and if you don't feel this that's cool but like mm-hmm. when is it ever good enough or when have you ever been good enough it's not that Never. that's that, that well that that's what I mean so I feel like the reason why I'm asking this is because a lot of people always talk about being a top biller aspiring it right and I think there's this interesting other conversation that when you so like Amy reached this top biller status Mm-hmm. then all of a sudden you've got this whole new thing to deal with is like okay well, if I'm not the top biller again what am I and I'm not and like you can be really hard on yourself and that's a whole I know it sounds like well she's done 480k so it can't be that bad but actually mm-hmm. there's a whole another thing internally that you've got to deal with there do you get what I mean absolutely and do you know what interestingly that was probably the hardest time in my career was at the end of 2017, so that was like my final year as a biller, I had a team of 14 people. I'd just been promoted to associate director in September. Our financial year ends end of November. And that was like my cutoff point. It was like, I'm going to walk away from billing. I'm just going to focus on management. I had to do it. From like a, a board level, it was like, you know, you can't <laughs> be a biller still. You know, you, you need to expand this team. And, you know, it's not your job anymore. And probably the hardest thing for me was going from being the leader that led by example do this because I'm doing it to suddenly having to manage people without being that like role model and that was really challenging for me whilst also taking a step back from the limelight if you like and not because I wanted that limelight necessarily it was more for myself because you start to question and doubt like am I as good at management as I was at being a leader and a billing leader and you know then it was a really challenging year 2018 we, we didn't perform like 2017 was the peak of my billing and we won team of the year internally yeah. in the business so it was like absolute like high and then 2018 was really tough you know automotive started to climb we had to diversify as the team got bigger you start dealing with more problems yeah. and it was a really challenging time for me and I really started to question like can I even do my new job like I don't even know if I can and you know you feel like you've lost the dressing room a bit at times because managing people when you're not doing it yourself is a lot harder I think or I did find it Mm. that way um so yeah it was it was really really tough and it took me a lot longer to adjust than I would have expected it probably took me over a year before Mm. I was fully comfortable with the fact that you know that's not my job anymore and yeah that's that's tough yeah yeah Yeah, totally get that (laughs) Um, and just final thing on this, because I think, again, it's an important discussion. What, what's been your, uh, you don't have to give me all the details, but the reason why I want to talk about it is I think um, there's this really, so there's this really interesting conversation around how many people tell recruiters or mm-hmm. give advice or guidance on what to spend their money on. <laughs> right like outside of work <laughs> just yeah just because I think like you talking about young Amy right that you sacrificed yeah. you wasn't out as much I think look there's this as we I think we obviously a lot of recruiters are motivated from external things right and that's yeah. why and you said you was motivated by incentives and all these things right yeah when 24 year old Amy is is earning a lot of money mm-hmm. like have you gone through learnings from that any advice <laughs> for people on that because I, mean, I, I think it's, it's important yeah, I mean, I went out and bought a Porsche, which was a huge mistake. It cost me a fortune. So definitely don't do that, especially not with the new benefit in kind tax. Do not do that. No, do you know what? It was always a big goal of mine was to, to get a Porsche. And yeah, I was fair. able to get it on the company car scheme. And yeah. it was amazing. But wow, did it cost me money. 
Yeah. But yeah, no, I think, you know what, it's a lot of naturally a lot of recruiters and why they go into recruitment is because they're quite money motivated and, you know, often relatively materialistic in terms of like holidays, clothes, bags, shoes, and all the stuff that I like. Um, but, you know, you, you see it quite a lot all the time. And when I look back, I've blown a lot of money. Absolutely. But I've had a great time along the way. But now, I've, you know, I've got a lot that I'm proud of. You know, I bought my house um three years ago so in a really lovely area Wilmslow in Cheshire always been a big goal for me you know to buy a house like that and you know got the Range Rover which was always a goal as well much more economic than the Porsche I have to say so yeah I think advice it, it's difficult because everyone's different you know and I've, I've got people that work for me that that just like spend all the money on rubbish but that keeps them happy and I've got others that are huge savers and I wouldn't really want to tell people like what yeah what to do but like do I think you've got to reward yourself right you're working really hard yeah you're dealing with a lot of stress you're getting let down all the time by people because you know that's your product and you know if spending money on certain things makes you happy and that's why you do it and do it if saving it to buy something big does as well then, then fine yeah. you know I think it's all right really I, I, think- I, I just think there's a final like you talking about how you've invested in yourself self-development I just think there needs to be a conversation on financial education as part of that that isn't Amy spend your money mm-hmm. like this it's Hey, yeah. uh, by the way, Amy, when I was when I did what you did, this is what I learned. And look, this if you wanted to take that what you want, but I think there there should be, I feel like more conversations around consider this mm-hmm. when you get that big paycheck, you know? Absolutely, hundred percent. Yeah, there's there's a real lack of education on it, and you know you've got twenty two, twenty three year olds on six figure salaries not knowing what to, to to spend the money on, and I've got examples of that in my team now, so I, I see it firsthand. And yeah, I think there's definitely a big gap there. You know how to invest money, where to save money. You know, mm. you don't get taught that sort of stuff in school really either. And you know, recruitment's recruitment's probably the only profession, maybe outside of football, where you can be, you know, in your early twenties on that sort of money, probably, or maybe other sales roles. But um, we we like to do a lot of work on. Well, we do do a lot of work on goal setting and getting people really clear on their goals, not just the materialistic goals, but like their life goals as well, and how that's going to make them feel, and really about investing in themselves and their well-being. So we try to provide as much structure and direction as we can by doing that, because it's not just about, you know, the money side, is it? It's, you know, you're elevated in terms of the responsibility that you've got too, and I think channeling that in the right way is really important as well um we we do a lot like from a training perspective obviously we work with you which is great Um, (laughs) and we have you know other external trainers so the company invests a lot in that side of things but we probably don't encourage people to do it themselves enough so it's definitely something to think about yeah interesting right so females in recruitment yeah (laughs) so so where i've where i put the link together so i um it was in like the first 50 episodes of this podcast. I did like a yeah. women in recruitment week. Okay. Okay. And one of the real common threads that I saw speaking to, to females like yourself. So you, when you're telling me that your number one priority was work. Yeah. Right. And you put all your eggs in that basket, work your absolute socks off. Right. Which is a big reason as to why you got to where you got to and achieve the things you have. Right. Yeah. So I think the common thread that I kept hearing was if I'm a female, I can find myself at this cross junction where it's mm-hmm. like, do I want to raise a family? Yeah. Or mm-hmm. do I have to give up my career? Mm-hmm. Right. And I think there's this interesting, like, internal battle. 
some females may not know that they don't want to have a family, right? But a lot mm-hmm. of females do. And there's this sort of internal, like, yeah, struggle with like... Absolutely. And I think that from what I saw, I feel like from the conversation stuff, and I was having a conversation with um, uh, a female recruit today called Ellie, and this is one of the things that she really wanted me to speak to females about who have went and actually mm-hmm. formed a family because it's something that she knows that she wants. But actually... Is that going to mean that all this hard work that I put into my recruitment career, is that going to suffer? And did you get what I mean? So like, have you been through that? What's, what, yeah, I don't know. absolutely. I mean, I've not, I've not got um, a family and I've not got any immediate plans to have a family, but it's definitely something that I, I think about. And I know that other females in the business have, have thought and asked about as well. And I think any female working in sales, there's always going to be that element of like, if I take time out, what is the impact of that going to be on my business and on my progression? Because it is different for, for us, like it is, you know, even if we have a baby and then take three months out, which is like the minimum probably, it's still a long time in recruitment. So it's a huge challenge and I don't think we necessarily have a solution to it yet. What I can say though is that you should never ever sacrifice something like that for a job, like it's your family at the end of the day, it's, it's the most important thing. But I think companies are becoming more and more equipped to, to deal with that and provide a platform to allow females to to go in you know have a family take time out and, and return without feeling like they've lost too much ground so it's definitely been a huge agenda point for, for us at Amoria Bond so we've recently launched um a women's network within the company called Ascend so um that's been in the making for a while but has been fast-tracked a little bit because we're doing a lot of work on diversity and inclusion but also because it was becoming more and more apparent that there were, we've got more girls in the business now, which is great. But what that means is the, the questions coming up a lot more. You know, what is the what's the the policy when it comes to this? Because there's not really. I'm the most. What, what, when you say policy, you mean if I leave and have children? Yeah, like yeah, okay. what happens? Like how do I come back? What, yeah, what, yeah, what yeah. does it mean? How long have I ever got off? What do I get paid? Do I still get my commission? Like loads of questions. Um, you know, what if I've got a team? Do I then have to hand them over? Like there's just loads of questions, isn't there? And I think. Um, it's really highlighted that we we don't have a set policy nor do I think we should have one because everyone's an individual but clearly now we have more women in our business this topic is going to come up more and more and I'm the most senior sales female in the company um, I'm the only sales manager that's a female in the company and I've not been through it so there's no one there <laughs> that's that role model yeah, so yeah, yeah. um you know we, we we've launched this network and we had the, the the launch session last week and a really common theme that came up was this so it's something that we're now going to prioritize and tackle because yeah. I don't want anyone to feel like their job or career is going to be sacrificed yeah. or Held back in any way for having a family. I, th- I certainly don't want to feel. Like I think. I think the first thing which I love about that, Amy, is that. I think there could be nothing worse that if you're if you're in an environment and you're yeah you're at that sort of crossroads or you feel like you need to start thinking about it and you you really feel like you can't talk about it because mm-hmm. I think I think that that's the most important thing that if you feel like you can't talk about it and you don't talk about it, then there's no potential solution or whatever right exactly. but the fact that you guys are actually going right what could this look like how could it be blah 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 it gives you then an opportunity to be like right we should think about getting this in place or whatever Absolutely. right. 
Um, so much of it is about communication because you know people need to be able to feel comfortable to have that conversation without somebody jumping to conclusions and thinking ultimately oh you're going to leave and have a baby next month <laughs> like it's not about that it's more about future planning isn't it and and that's why we create this network so much of it's an education piece for the male managers as well around communication and as a business because we want more females to progress and um, you know we that's a big goal for us and if having more of a platform or more of a support structure in place for women who have a family and then return needs to be there for that to happen then you know that's what we're going to do yeah so why don't we just talk a bit more about this then so so because I think you broke it down into three areas which I thought was really great so the purpose of this one is to actually have a place where as a female recruiter in a big business I can go Mm -hmm. to and talk about things that maybe if I was to speak to Jeff next to me may not be able to fully understand or see it from my point of view right so that's great so what were the other purposes of this yeah so well the the key things we because we've got four offices and some are very so the UK office is like 50 50 females males I'm there as well as like a leader so very very comfortable with the whole female male dynamic whereas some of the other offices in the business maybe like one or two females so they were feeling a little bit disconnected yeah. from the group. So we created a stand really to connect and support all the women across the different offices um, and to provide networking opportunities with senior role models in the business, but outside of the business too. And, you know, with the goal of attracting, retaining and progressing more women in a more bond. That. And that's the really key bit is, is that. And we, you know, it's all about progression. Yeah, but how do we get to that point? And that's why we took it right back to the beginning. It's like, well, we've got to attract more women first. And then we've got to retain them and then we've got to help them progress. How, how, how do you think we can do that as an industry, do you think? Yeah, so I think a lot of it will come down to the internal recruitment process. So getting involved um, in the interview. So if a female's coming into the office for an interview, having 10 minutes with one of the other the women there, one of the other girls there, just as a quick 10-minute chat about what it's like. And um, having programs like this within an organization so people feel you know comfortable and um, I think LinkedIn and social media is a huge part of that as well, like celebrating women in recruitment and celebrating success, creating awareness around it, being pretty like visual with different schemes and incentives that are going on. Just so more women can get into the industry. I think it's quite old fashioned that people think it's male dominated. I think it probably was at one point, but I honestly don't think it is now. I just don't think we create enough awareness around the fact that the shift has taken place. Yeah, no, you're right. And I think, as I was saying to you before this, like, for whatever reason, if you were to look at the last 30 episodes, there's definitely more guys on. Yeah, and I remember you saying I think, that. Yeah, and I just think, like, I don't know, always, like, if I was to speak to a female about coming on, the first thing they say to me is, like, and if I was to say, look, look Amy, how open do you be to getting involved? Normally, again, I'm just generalising here, but normally they might go, oh, I'm not sure how much value that I'd bring. And I think it's yeah. that part that we were talking about before we started where I love the fact that you're willing to sort of get on the soapbox and go, look, this is what I've achieved. I've worked hard for it. This is what I've done. <laughs> I think like not in an egotistical way, but yeah. actually I think that's important for females to have role, role models and see other people celebrate their success and not be, I don't know. I don't know if it's embarrassment, but it's, I don't know if it, if it doesn't come natural to it you or whatever. Come naturally, yeah. Yeah. It's not natural to sort of talk about yourself necessarily I mean that's what obviously I said to you before I started but I think really it's, it's just awareness and it's just it's about support like I think you know from a communication perspective and in terms of how you know we're programmed we, we tend to be more on the 
uh, like emo not gonna say emotional but like we we tend to be more on the emotive side of things so like communication with a male manager sometimes can be a bit cold and a bit harsh and that's how they communicate with their male staff maybe sometimes you need to be a little bit more understanding with a female totally. i know that's something that when i speak when i manage my team i do adopt my style based on the personality of the person um that I'm that I'm dealing with you know male or female and I think just maybe there's just a bit of an awareness of that yeah. um but the more women we get in then you know the, the more women that will progress longer term so that attraction piece is just huge I think yeah. massive and that's why I really wanted to come on today as well because you know if there are other like female recruiters out there or people thinking about getting you know, women thinking about getting into recruitment but aren't sure like i would really just love to encourage you all to do it because it's been an absolute game changer it's changed my life so yeah i think that's I'm amazing so happy i did it yeah so look before we finish what what i'd just love to get your thoughts on amy because i feel like this is something that you're you would be having to cultivate influence in your teams right now yeah um like how have you gone about ensuring that your team people your recruiters in your team that might be doubting themselves right now with how difficult things are mm -hmm. um might be just overall finding it really difficult and just um you're having to play a role where you're just trying to encourage them in the best way you can to make sure that they ca carry through and get through this like what would be what's been your actual advice to your team yeah. what would be your actual advice for people listening that people. yeah you know that might be going yeah. through a slump right now or might be going this is fucking horrible like yeah and, and do you know what it is horrible like anyone who says that recruitment's been really great for them in the last few months is like, yeah it's just like shut up <laughs> it's not true it's been awful yeah no and do you know what i think that's the first thing like i think it's just to recognize like there is a global pandemic like there is and there's nothing you can do about that so try not to be too too hard on yourself first of all because you've been thrown you, you know you're dealing with something incredibly challenging like none of us have ever had to handle something like this before so it's not a reflection of you and your ability it's a reflection of the economic you know state of affairs and what's going on I mean at the end of the day the movement of people has been stopped and that is what we do for a living so I think the first thing is to just recognize that and just think do you know what it's happened but obviously there are ways around that and there are ways of, of making the most out of the situation so what I've done with with my team is firstly obviously getting them to accept that it's not great no one's where they want to be but it's not your fault it's out of your control so we're doing a lot of work at the moment on what is and isn't out of your control if you mm. can't control it don't worry about it because what's the point if you can control it do something about it so recruiters naturally are pretty social people extroverts pretty externally motivated all that sort of stuff is gone at the moment it's just the bare bones of the job and it's a really really difficult job to have even more so than normal at the moment so that makes it really really tough so day to day we just keep talking a lot about goals and celebrating mini successes instead uh, well not instead but as well and putting more emphasis on them and um, in the daily closes we're, we're sharing like positive news we're celebrating the small wins and just really you know unity and collaboration is so important especially because it's really disjointed because everyone's at home so just trying to bring the team together and, and leverage what we have got to create as a positive environment and atmosphere as we can and i think just that reassurance when i'm speaking to my team each morning setting them up for the day giving them really clear advice and reassurance one amazing thing that's come out of this is video meetings so as you know, I'm massive on meetings and I've always driven that with the team as well. But because they're all on video, I can attend like 
five meetings a day with the team now whereas before i'd be like right you've got me this day this month yeah yeah, yeah. but now i'm doing like 30 40 meetings and like for them with them <laughs> that's been really positive because from a training perspective like they all feel so much more confident with meetings now and we're literally doing like 16 17 meetings per head per month at the moment like we're doing 120 odd a month total Amazing. and like the amount of pipeline that we must be generating from that is just incredible so again just just focusing on stuff like that and like focusing on the strategy we, we've changed our strategy we're still engineering we're still the core disciplines but rather than automotive and aerospace it's very defense or building services or food manufacturing you know so just shifting what we're doing yeah it's out of our comfort zone but you know shifting to to ensure that we're getting a return and focusing a lot on leads as well because they're quicker wins it's a quick street to market and you know you're going to get a quicker return off a lead so we've just adapted it a little bit but probably gone off on a tangent here in terms of the team positive know, communication yeah positive communication reassurance talking about goals celebrating mini wins trying to bring everyone together as much as possible from a cultural perspective and you know just accepting that results might not be what they were right now but it's fine because we're going to get through it we're doing the right things and we've got a track record of success and they've 100 percent providing the turning up each day with the right attitude and working hard they've got 100 percent backing from me and our business to support them through this time yeah i think that's amazing um look so before we finish yeah what is uh Amy excited about post well I know we we're saying it's probably, well, probably gonna be, going there's gonna be a while holiday but... on Saturdays so I can't wait for that. Are you? Where are you going? <laughs> well, hopefully I'm going to Mykonos. Oh, okay, so nice. there's no live cases right now. So I'm praying that I can definitely go and definitely not have to quarantine <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so fair enough. So look, yeah. you you you've been in the industry for mm-hmm. a while. Yeah. I guess just the final thing that I'd love to get your thoughts on before we finish is like what do you think is gonna stay? like no doubt our industry has been sort of disrupted things have changed you're working at home but all these different yeah. things right yeah but like in the next six 12 months what what do you reckon will end up staying and how do you think that this whole experience will positively affect our industry do you think yeah sure so i think one thing will stay is that there will always be a need for recruitment that's just a fact. If you're working in technical sectors where people are hard to find, there will always be a need for your services. It might have slowed down initially. There might be more roadblocks in the way in terms of people starting jobs because of remote working and things like that. But there will always, always be a need. And I think, you know, you can't, despite all the different technology platforms and creative ways of doing things, you really can't quite be just picking up the phone and, and speaking to a client or picking up the phone and speaking to a candidate. And I think now more than ever, like that level of communication and customer service is is important because people will remember how you handled them now in the future and I think you know if a candidate's calling you and you don't work for them still taking the time to have a chat with them and reassure them as much as you can with a reason obviously and with clients who aren't hiring but still being consultative, giving them advice, giving them industry news like what are their competitors doing in terms of onboarding people insight all that stuff's really important so yeah what will stay will be that relationship side customer service that that will stick certain sectors will be busy than others granted but i think all that stuff despite the changes will will still be there and i think it should always just be a huge emphasis for people in recruitment is customer service and doing what you say you're going to do and being a reliable person in the market that genuinely wants to add value and help um 
in terms of how we're going to benefit from this I mean we're going to be great at what we do when things get better aren't we <laughs> like we're going to be so much more mentally tough and resilient and you know we're going to look back and think you know if I can come through that I can come through anything you know one of the biggest challenges in recruitment is resilience and why most people don't work out is because they just give up a little bit too soon I think if you come out the other side of this you'll be a better recruiter a better manager a better business owner and when things get easier which they will because this is temporary you'll be better for it and you'll have more clients and more candidates and and you'll hopefully go on to be more successful and make more money amazing amy it's been a pleasure thank you for having me (laughs) thank you so much for listening to the podcast i really want to ensure this podcast remains valuable and relevant for all of you if you have topics or questions would love me to cover with future guests then please get in touch with me best place to get me is on linkedin just search hishimazoos and drop me a message i would love to hear from you finally if you have two minutes it would be greatly appreciated if you could leave an honest review for the podcast it will simply mean that i can reach more people with this podcast You can easily leave a review for the podcast by clicking the link in the episode notes or by going to ratethispodcast.com forward slash rollercoaster. Thank you again for listening.